quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Don't trust other people to run that process, whether it's you as the owner or when you're starting out, or if you can get one person, one employee to really oversee these vendors and manage that process. You could use third-party management along with that, but the construction management is really the first thing to focus on, in my opinion. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest-running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Best Ever listeners, welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever show. I'm Slocum Reed, and I'm today here with Zach Hapsenstall, a returning guest. He's been on the podcast multiple times. He's based in Phoenix, Arizona. He's CEO and co-founder of Rise 48 Equity, which has been quite busy since the last time he was on the podcast. They are a real estate investment services firm that focuses on multifamily syndication, and their current portfolio is now at $1.4 billion in assets under management. Zach, can you tell us a little bit more about what you've had going on this past year? Yeah, thanks so much, Slocum. Really happy to be here. Thanks for having us on. And yeah, I mean, it's obviously been an eventful year for everybody in real estate. We're recording this here in May of 2023. Obviously, the Fed has made several aggressive rate hikes since March of 2022. So operationally, the focus has been continue to renovate units, and we've been increasing the velocity of our renovations so that we can continue to push rents and push NOI. So we've been in a great position operationally. We've been fortunate. We've never done a capital call. We don't plan to do any this year, next year, or beyond. So really focused on operations, infrastructure, And then we're still seeing opportunities and we bought several deals this year in 2023 and we're finding good opportunities out there. So just kind of making sure we're mitigating against interest rate risk and still looking for good deals out there. Tell us about the good opportunities you've been finding in the past few months. So like I said, we're recording this in May. By the end of May, we'll have bought five deals this year, a deal a month. We have another one closing in June. We recently expanded to the Dallas, Texas market. So we've been traditionally been focused on Phoenix. So now it's Dallas and Phoenix going forward. And all of the Dallas deals we've acquired so far, the common theme there, Slocum, is that there is some type of distress with the seller and their lender. And what I mean by that is all three of them either had an interest rate cap that was coming up to expire or an actual loan term, like a balloon payment on a loan was coming up to expire on one of them. So they had to sell the deal just to get out of it before this impending deadline were to come up. And the reality is, is that values for real estate are down at least 20 to 30% from where they were first half of last year. So most sellers are not selling unless they need to. We don't expect to sell a deal all year. We're not going to give a buyer a discount just to sell a deal in the short term. But as a buyer, if we can find some of these distressed opportunities, we can get these deals at a really good basis. And there's not a lot of competition right now, especially for institutional equity. And so some of the deals that we've been seeing are value add deals like we always do where they've got some type of loan distress coming up, they need to get out of the deal. Outside of the financial or future financing distress that sellers are going to experience, making them better, making them more willing to sell at terms you're willing to take, what else is that you're looking for in a property and an opportunity right now? Our criteria has remained the same. So we really focus on E-class assets. So 1980s vintage properties, at least a hundred plus units, workforce housing demographic. And we've adjusted our underwriting assumptions to adapt to the current economic climate. 
So since summer of 2022, we're assuming 0% organic rent growth in year one for every deal in Dallas and in Phoenix. And we've really shaved down the organic rent growth assumptions for the five-year average as well. These are a needle in a haystack, these deals to pencil. As an example, Slocum, we have a deal tracker and we started underwriting deals in Dallas in November of 2022. We've underwritten over 120 different properties since November. So the last six, seven months, only four of them have actually penciled and made sense in our stress test. So what we need is we personally secret shop the comps for every single deal that we look at. So we look at what are renovated units in the immediate area achieving right now. In order for these deals to work for us, a common theme to answer your question, there needs to be a significant delta where the in-place rents at that property we're looking at need to be well below not only the renovated rents for those other properties nearby, but the classic units need to have a lot of loss to lease in place. If their rents are well below what other classic units are currently achieving, we need to be able to get a big push there because we cannot assume in our underwriting model very strong organic rent growth in 0% in year one. So we need to say, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel here. We're going to buy this deal, renovate units, burn off loss to lease. And we're just bringing rents right up to market with where everybody else in that immediate market is achieving right now. And if we can find that, then we can move forward if all the other underwriting assumptions make sense and we can get at a price that makes sense. But that's very difficult to find. Right now, it's a 3% hit rate on a deal that might pencil for what we're underwriting. I'm hearing you describe as effectively a numbers game. How does Rise 48 find good opportunities worth acquiring in Q2 2023? The answer is underwrite everything. If you have to analyze 33 deals for every one that pencils, then you better analyze 99, 100 deals to find three. Does that really summarize it? 100%. Yeah, it's a volume game. It's a grind, honestly. So all of our deals, welcome, come through broker relationships. Okay, we don't go direct to sellers or anything like that. Not to say you can't be successful. I'm sure people have done it. It's just for us, it seems most efficient to go through brokers. So in Phoenix, for example, there's five or six brokers who control 90% of the inventory. They control everything. And we build relationships with these guys the last several years where most of our deals have been off market. Well, last year, I called all the Phoenix brokers that I know and I said, hey, we're going to Dallas. Can you refer me to your top guys in Dallas? In Dallas, seven or eight guys, these are all the same firms, Slocum, CBRE, Marks and Millichap, Northmark, Bercadia, JLL. So they referred us to all their top guys in Dallas. And it was kind of cool. We were endorsed and met all these guys, instantly started getting a lot of off-market deal flow. So we're getting constant deal flow. I'm calling these brokers every single week on the phone with these guys, staying in touch. We have our acquisitions manager, Brady. We have Bickron, our CFO, and we've just hired another analyst because we were getting so much volume of deal flow. And most of it is not even close, by the way. Most of these deals are not even close to what we can get to. So to answer your question, it's just volume. So the difference between now and the last few years, Slocum, is the last few years when the market was strong, there was a lot of deal flow and there was a lot of competition. Now, deal flow is much slower than it has been, but their competition is also a lot less. So it's a needle in a haystack regardless. It's a volume game and it's tedious because we shop these comps for every single deal that we underwrite, let alone make an offer on. So it's a grind and we have to have our asset management team involved every deal. And we're doing at least five to 10 deals a week minimum that we're underwriting. So yeah, you just kind of crank through them and try to find what makes sense. One more question, and then I want to transition this conversation, Zach. 
What is the property size that you all target? In Phoenix, we want to be at least 100 plus units. In Dallas, ideally like to be at least 150, 200 plus units. So that's the minimum, 100 plus units minimum. This is a good question, Slocum, because this has actually changed as far as purchase price wise. Last year in Phoenix, we bought deals from 15 million all the way up to $142 million deal. And we bought a $125 million deal. We were buying very large deals. You could raise $30 million of equity and go buy a $100 million deal because of where the interest rates were at, debt service coverage ratio, things like that. Now you have to raise significantly more equity in order to buy a deal. And that's because you have less leverage So you have bigger down payments. And we've always been a low leverage group, which is why we're in good shape, 60 to 70% loan to value. But we're raising a lot more cash reserves up front. We're buying these interest rate caps to protect against mitigating interest rate risk, which is very expensive. So right now, in this moment of time, we feel very comfortable between 20 to $50 million purchase price. Because if it's a $40 million purchase price, we're having to raise minimum 20 to 25 million of equity. So basically the ratios have really changed. We now have to raise around 60, 65% of the equity relative to the purchase price. Before that was 35, 40% for all of our reserves, everything like that. So that's our sweet spot is that value add 20 to $40 million space right now. The reason behind my question, Zach, that 20 to $40 million space, there are a lot of apartment syndicators who are playing in that space or who want to and are making the attempt you're explaining a process of analyzing deals that requires a lot of resources, a lot of legwork. How do you quantify how much effort Rise48 puts into analyzing deals pre-LOI? Good question. We'll do an initial pass on the deal and see if it's even relatively close. If we're not even relatively close to what the seller wants, then we're going to type out a summary email and give it to the broker and just say, hey, this is where we're coming in. And we're not going to spend extra time to dial it in. But if we are getting close, then we're going to spend extra time to really call our debt brokers, our lenders, dial in the debt terms. And we're using conservative estimates on the front end, which we know we can hit. But if we're, we want to be close, let's get really detailed. Let's get really granular. And then we'll, we'll make sure that we're double checking with our asset management team. You thoroughly shop these comps. You think we can get these rents, things like that. So yeah, you don't want to spend too much time on each deal if you're not even close. But it's a volume game and we've lost a ton of deals to other buyers the last several years. We always lose deals because like you said, it's a competitive space. Most of the time people are willing to pay more money than us. It's just tough to make these deals work in our stress test. But there's a couple of things we've done to gain advantages. For example, we've purchased 42 deals. We're 42 for 42. We've never fallen out of contract. Every time we go into contract, we close a deal. We also are pretty aggressive with our terms. And I don't mean purchase price, I mean our earnest money and our due diligence period. Even right now, we're going non-refundable day one with our earnest money. We just closed the deal a few weeks ago. It was about a $50 million deal in Dallas. And I signed the contract. I wired a million bucks to escrow, non-refundable immediately. And we released it to the seller. We said, okay, escrow, release this to the seller. He can go use it forever he wants. And if we don't close, we lose a million bucks. And it's our personal cash. But we felt comfortable that we could perform And on the front end, we're underwriting Slocum, we will model in a doomsday scenario where we say, okay, we're going to budget to replace roofs, plumbing, electrical, everything, so that we feel confident going non-refundable day one so that we can repair everything. 98% of the time, what happens is we go under contract, 
we start due diligence and we're actually trimming back that CapEx budget because it wasn't as bad as what we assumed. So we're typically doing 10-day due diligence periods, which is more than enough time for all of our staff to get in there. And then we go non-refundable day one. That sends a message to the brokers and to the sellers that we're serious and that we perform. We do all the management in-house. We've got 220 plus employees. We sign all on ourselves. We raise all the money. We use our own personal cash. So we have no masters, so to speak. We've won deals, Silicon Matter marketed deals, that we're not even the highest offer just because of track record and credibility with the broker and the seller. So those are some of the things that you can do once you start buying deals and get relationships with these brokers. Zach, you were one of the keynote speakers at the Best Ever Conference a couple months ago now. For the audience listening now, can you recap what that talk was about? Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, you know, I'm not just saying this, that literally was the best ever conference I've been to. It was legitimate. We only decided to be the platinum sponsor three or four weeks before it. And the team there, the whole best ever team had everything set up and it was awesome. We got a great value out of that sponsorship. And we go to a lot of these sponsorships, these lot of these conferences, but basically it was just about the history of our company and how we got started. I don't have any background in real estate. I had to quit my job, move off of savings. And we scaled from nothing with no relationships to now done 1.8 billion in transactions. We've bought 42 deals, sold 11 deals. We have a property manager company in-house construction management. 220 plus full-time W-2 employees on full benefits. And so it was just kind of how we got through the initial adversity and struggles. And by we, I mean my partners, Bikron, Robert, and myself, how we met, bought the first deal, how I had to go back and get a job because I was broke after we owned millions of dollars of real estate and just go through that grind. And then how we would encounter challenges where we're using third-party property management initially And then that wasn't working. So we had to bring construction management in-house, property management in-house, build out infrastructure, scale the business. And so it was a a good talk. I feel like we could bring value to a lot of the attendees at the conference, kind of show them where we've gotten to today, how we've gotten there. And then also at the end, Slocum, we talked about our approach in this current high interest rate environment. What are we doing operationally with existing assets as far as rapidly increasing the velocity of renovations to maximize NOI? So we can refinance out of these loans without having to rely on interest rates coming down. And then also, what are we doing for new acquisitions? Are we looking for, are we active? Because most people are not active. So we kind of touched on all those different topics. Remind me, when is it that you got started in commercial real estate? I quit my job January of 2018. Lived off of savings for over a year to figure out how to get into multifamily and bought the first deal February of 2019. So it took 14 months of just full-time going at this to buy the first deal. And we did not syndicate it. A handful of us put down our own money to buy this 36 unit, three and a half million dollar deal, learn how to operate these deals, really get a sense of value add business plans. And then we started syndicating and raising money from passive investors. And so the first two and a half, three years, Slocum, we made no money. And then we started to really hit that inflection point where we were executing the business plan, selling deals. So we were getting good results for investors, which was attracting more investors. We were really getting those relationships established with the brokers so we could start sourcing off-market deals. And then we started charging acquisition fees, the deal level, which generates revenue to build out infrastructure and hire staff. So that was the, the timeline for us was January, 2018 is when we started. And now it's been a little over five years. You've gone full cycle on 11 deals? Correct. We've successfully executed the plan, gone full cycle and sold 11 of these deals so far. 
We also like to utilize a 1031 exchange. So of those 11 deals, we've done seven 1031 exchanges. So I know that's kind of unique. Not a lot of people do that. And the other four deals we didn't do were earlier deals. We honestly weren't thinking of it, but the plan going forward is to try and 1031 exchange every single deal. Our investors have the option if they want to participate, they can participate in the exchange to further capital gains tax, or they can cash out um, and get out of the deal. So that's been our strategy. We'll get back to the show with the first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Are you looking to raise money from private investors to buy commercial real estate? Syndicationattorneys.com is here to guide you every step of the way. At syndicationattorneys.com, they do more so you can do more. They create real estate syndication and fund offering documents, but they also educate you on the ins and outs of raising private money, ensure your offerings comply with securities laws, and help you structure fair deals with investors so everybody wins. With reasonable lump sum fees and over $2.75 billion in securities offerings created, syndicationattorneys.com has the expertise you need. But that's not all. Syndicationattorneys.com also offers weekly attorney-led masterminds, networking, and strategy sessions through their pre-syndication consulting agreements. To learn more, visit syndicationattorneys.com today to get started. This offer is not available to Florida residents. Has your business plan changed with the deals that you're currently acquiring? Are you planning for a longer hold period or any other changes? Good question, Slocum. So no, the business plan has not changed at all. Ever since we started, for every deal that we've ever underwritten and purchased since day one, it's always a five-year model with a stress test built in there. And the stress test, it assumes that right after we buy the deal, there will immediately be some type of significant economic downturn or recession that hits, or the organic rent growth in the market will plummet immediately and decrease significantly and stay there for five consecutive years. Vacancy will increase immediately, stay there for five consecutive years. And that even with that downturn, we hold through the recession, execute the business plan by renovating 100% of the units and sell in year five to achieve the returns we're projecting to investors. That's always been the business plan and the stress test ever since day one. What's happened in reality, so like in the last several years, I'm sure you've seen this from several operators, is that we'll buy a deal, we'll blow through 20 to 50% of the interior innovations in the first year, and then we intentionally stop renovating early. We hit the brakes so that we can leave, quote unquote, meat on the bone for the next guy. We've proven out the concept, leave classic units for the next guy, and then we can sell the deal early at a lower cap rate and open up our buyer pool to more value add buyers. That's what we've been doing in reality, but we've always budgeted and been ready to renovate all the units and hold it a little bit longer. So I've been telling investors now, I think our average hold period across the 11 deals that we've sold has been about 18 months. These have been home runs for investors. I've been telling investors more than a year now, since interest rates started aggressively getting increased, I'm saying don't expect those types of returns in 18 to 24 months. We never projected that initially and we'll take it while we can get it. But as interest rates have just skyrocketed. The Fed has increased them now, I think 500 basis points or so in the last 12 to 14 months. Interest rates are higher, so debt is more expensive, which means buyers have less purchasing power. Organic rent growth across the country has decelerated significantly and normalized. For those two reasons, it's going to take a little bit longer to hit these target exit valuations if the target returns for investors, right? So it's always been a five-year conservative model. And so, yeah, we have been given the expectation these are going to be longer hold periods. We still feel very confident we can hit, if not exceed, our initial projections. 
but now we're putting that stress test to the test, so to speak. So longer hold periods, as far as the business plan, we've always been prepared to renovate all the units. And now what we're doing, Slocum, is we're rapidly increasing the velocity of renovations across the portfolio. In 2022, we were renovating between 50 to 100 units a month across the portfolio. And we, we weren't going full speed. We didn't need to. Well, in 2023, we decided let's really crank up these velocity of renovations so that we can really maximize the rents and the NOI because organic rent growth is gone. You cannot rely on organic rent growth to increase rents. And the only way you can increase rents is to renovate units on schedule, on budget, provide a higher quality interior finish for the tenant, the resident, so that they'll pay a higher rent. And we've been fortunate. We're having no issues hitting and exceeding our pro from rents across the entire portfolio. Okay. We've already renovated over 700 plus units this year in 2023, more than we renovated all of last year. We're cranking it up drastically. Every single unit is hitting or exceeding our pro forma rent. The renovated units are actually moving faster and are more attractive than the classic units. And we do a very high level interior scope. It's a truly like a class A interior scope, stainless steel appliances, quartz countertops, brand new cabinet boxes, et cetera. So it's the same business plan slocum, but now it's increased the velocity of renovation so that we can renovate 90 to 100% of these units before those three-year interest rate caps come up to expire. Okay, so this is why we're in good shape right now. Have never done a capital call. Like I said, don't plan to do any in the next few years or beyond because we have low leverage loans, three-year interest rate caps, plenty of cash reserves, and we have the infrastructure to be able to renovate these units on schedule, on budget, push the NOI by having property management in-house, construction management in-house, and controlling our supply chain completely by purchasing all of our materials directly wholesale from an overseas supplier. So we feel fortunate. We've built the infrastructure before this economic downturn and interest rate hikes came because we were already prepared to weather this storm. Zach, I feel like there's been a theme running through this conversation that I don't want to go unspoken. This may just be coming from my perspective. Please comment on this. But it feels like a lot of what we've discussed right now is the benefit of scale. And of course, it was just a handful of years ago that you were acquiring your first deal, but you got to scale quickly and getting to scale quickly put you in the position where you could buy materials direct from overseas wholesalers and bring construction management and property management in-house and have that level of control over the process and have the resources at your disposal to be able to do the level of analysis you're doing on deals to find the four out of 120 that actually pencil out. Does this resonate with you? A hundred percent. I think you said it very well, Slocum, is that scale is critical. Even the most entry-level investors, when you're listening to podcasts like Best Ever and you're learning about multifamily, you learn about the benefits of economies of scale. And it's realistic and relevant in any industry, especially in multifamily. So you're exactly right. Because we were fortunate to be able to quickly scale and acquire a lot of units. It gives us revenue so that we can afford to hire a lot of staff. And as far as our supply chain goes, because we have so much volume that we're purchasing, I'm pretty confident we're renovating more units per month than anybody in the state of Arizona. I have no doubt about that. I mean, I don't have data to support it, but my point in saying that is because we have so much volume, it gives us a ton of leverage and purchasing power with our supplier. We're buying hundreds of units worth of materials months in advance at locked in fixed prices. We have not had to worry about any supply chain issues the last three years. 
even in 2021, after COVID, when people couldn't get stainless steel appliances, they couldn't get different things. We didn't have those issues, okay? Because we're buying things months in advance, directly wholesale from an overseas manufacturer, and we're getting it at fixed costs. So we always hit our budget. And then you talk about property management. Property management is great to bring in house, but it's a beast of an undertaking, okay? We invested over 800K of our own personal cash into that company. It took about 10 months to break even. If you don't have at least 2,000 units or so, it typically doesn't make sense. So again, it goes back to what you said. So like, we have to have scale in order to be able to support a property management company. And when you have the property management company, it gives you more control, which allows you to get better operational results. And we have all these different advantages over our competition now. You know, the biggest thing is staffing. We started the property management company because we were using third-party management a few years ago. And we kept having turnover at our property level with this staff. They were just getting poached by other people, recruiting them, paying them more money. So our whole philosophy was, let's start our own property management company. And we don't need to make a bunch of money off this property management company. To be honest with you, Slocum, property management is a crappy business model. It's low profit margin. So our whole thing was, let's just start this to have control. We just need to break even. Let's offer the most competitive compensation in the industry the best benefits so that we can recruit and retain the very best talent so that the operations are performing well, investors are happy, and then we can get good returns. And when we get investors good returns, we make 80 to 90% of our compensation through our GP promo or our quote unquote sweat equity when we sell a deal and get strong returns, give the investor all their money back plus their preferred return and then go through those split. That's where we make the bulk of our money that's our high profit margin business. So I think the scale is what allowed all these things from being able to hire staff for every department, which like you said, that leads into acquisition. If we didn't have scale, we wouldn't have enough revenue to be able to hire multiple people in our acquisitions department to then go through more deals and analyze more deals. You just don't have enough manpower or bandwidth when you're smaller to take on all these things. And so we've been taking all of our profits, all of our fees, reinvesting into infrastructure into our different companies here at Rise 48. And that's just helped us to become stronger in every department. And that's a long-term goal. It's just continue to build infrastructure, keep getting stronger. Zach, I'm glad this conversation is an interview for a podcast because there's no way I could have taken notes fast enough to write down all the things I'm going to want to remember from this conversation. I'll have a recording of it here soon that I can play as many times as I need to. Are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do it. Lightning round. What is the best ever book you recently read? Yeah, good question. So I'm reading it right now. I've read it before. It's called Mastery by Robert Greene. So it's a great book. It really talks about the whole concept of you have to have 10,000 hours of work in one thing, master it. And it talks about some of the greatest minds in the history of civilization. They did not come from impressive backgrounds, but they just grinded it out for years and years. And in this current age that we live in Slocum with social media. Everybody wants short attention span. People don't want to be bored. They don't want to put in work. It talks about the tedious nature you have to put in to be great at stuff. So mastery, I recommend that book highly. What is your best ever way to give back? We have a charitable organization at our company called Rise Up Give Back. So we recently donated $35,000 to Phoenix Children's Hospital, a leading children's hospital here in Arizona, one of the biggest ones in the country, just in Q1. So we sponsor a lot of their events. And then we also donate and sponsored an event earlier this year for human trafficking to stop human trafficking. So those are two of our big passions, our kids, human trafficking. And then we're also in talks with Phoenix Police Department. We want to really support our local police department 
make sure that they're well-funded to keep the cities, the communities safe, because that's very important to us is to make sure your police departments are well-funded. Thus far, Zach, on the properties that you have acquired, what is the biggest mistake you've made and the best ever lesson that resulted from it? Good question. On the first handful of properties, the biggest mistake we made is that we trusted the third-party property management company to run the construction management. So I'm not telling you that you need to start your own property management company because it's a big undertaking and you have to have enough scale for it to make sense. But before we ever started property management, we took construction management in-house. And what does that mean? It doesn't mean you necessarily need to hire the labor that's doing the renovations inside the units. It means that you as the owner, you need to hire people who are going to source, bid out, and manage all of your subcontractors. We were told by this third-party property management company that they could do all that, and they were terrible at it. None of these subcontractors were staying on schedule or on budget. You fall behind. So I was having to go out to the property, chew out these vendors, make sure they're doing what they're supposed to do. So making sure that when you're doing a value-add plan, you have to be able to manage that construction process of renovating these units on the interiors, the exterior amenities, CapEx, things like that. So I would make sure that the best advice I can give, which was a mistake we made early on, is don't trust other people to run that process, whether it's you as the owner or when you're starting out, or if you can get one person, one employee to really oversee these vendors and manage that process. You could use third-party management along with that, but the construction management is really the first thing to focus on, in my opinion. That said, what is your best ever advice? I think if you're trying to be an active sponsor in this, then... I would say don't let anybody else tell you you can't do it. Don't take crap from anybody else because they're not going to put the work in that's necessary for you to achieve your goals. So I think you're going to encounter a lot of people that think that it's not possible. I think if you're a passive investor, I think that when you're talking to people, ask them if they're doing capital calls, ask them what their infrastructure looks like to renovate units. Because if it's a value add plan, you have to be able to renovate units on schedule, on budget right now. Otherwise you're in trouble. That's just the reality of the situation across the country. And so I think you need to look at infrastructure as a passive investor, look at track record and ask these questions because there's the cliche of like the tide going out, right? Well, now the tide is going out and a lot of people are going to get exposed operationally. And so you want to look and see how are you performing now and ask those questions if you're a passive investor. Where can people get in touch with you? You can go to our website, rise48equity.com, R-I-S-E-4-8-Equity.com. You can actually set up a call with me if you're interested to learn about our investments on that website. You can also email me, Zach, Z-A-C-H, at rise48equity.com. Look forward to getting on a call with you, answering any questions and connecting. Those links are in the show notes. Zach, thank you. Best ever listeners, thank you as well for tuning in. If you've gained value from this episode, please do subscribe to our show. Leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend you know we can add value to through our conversation today. Thank you and have a best ever day. Thanks so much, Slocum. Hi, best ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and best ever content? Well, if so... Join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the best ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.